0: Welcome
1: to Cast. this is Caleb. This is Chris. We're back! Hey, we're back! <laughs> we're back from outer space. And we haven't been back for a long time. I know.
0: It's been so long. Man, we're so. like... It's like when Kiss took the makeup off and said, we're done. But the good thing about taking the makeup off is you can put it back
1: on. Oh god, yeah. Man. Hey,
0: we're Kiss and we're back.
1: Makeup back on. It's a terrible analogy. But... <laughs> Alright. Anyways... We 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 just got back from seeing Aloha oh, well, in the theater. Well, let's
0: not jump into
1: that quite right. yet. Oh, you got okay. something else? Yeah,
0: I got something else. All okay, right. I just want to say, you know, the reason I took a few months off is because I was working on a comedy CD, and I yeah. have finished the CD, ten tracks. Oh. And when we started, I was doing it like every other week. I was like, oh, I'll do the. I, I spent the week writing the comedy instead mm-hmm. of preparing for a podcast. And then I thought I'm just gonna devote the time to just writing the stuff and getting
1: it out and mission accomplished. So it feels yeah. good that I did what I set out to do. Well when you started out you had a you had to work on, on a lot of stuff. When you do the podcast, you had it down to the point where you just gotta work on the material that we're saying and you know do a yeah, little bit of much research. More bullet and points. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. And when you first Close. started the comedy, not only did you have to come up with the material, the jokes uh, it wasn't like you were playing different clubs. You were playing the same people. Yeah. So every week you had to have fresh material. And then, uh, and but when you first started, it. it wasn't just the material that you needed. You had to work on timing and getting in front of people, and your pacing, and a lot of different aspects. Yeah. So, so you had your hands full.
0: And it took a few to get into the rhythm and just know what the hell I was doing.
1: Yeah.
0: And then, but uh, you know, some of them turned out pretty good. So yeah. I'm I'm happy with some of them. Yeah so that's cool it's kind of just this calling card thing it's something cool that I can give to people and oh, yeah. and it's it's a good start it's the beginning of something yeah not like you know, this
1: podcast interesting uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> you can't give this to anybody <laughs> yeah exactly
0: <laughs> I had a bunch of family visiting last weekend, and one of them was my cousin, Erica. And she said that she's listened to some of the episodes of the podcast.
1: No. Yeah. We have a second audience? A second one. (laughs) I was
0: so surprised. I'm like,
1: really? We've doubled our our
0: viewers. (laughs) She's like, yeah, you post on Facebook. I've listened to some of them. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's like she must have listened to every... Facebook, everything else on Facebook and finally got down to this. Exactly. (laughs) as There's no other explanation for it. Yeah. She listened to just one podcast? Yeah. uh, More than one, I think. Wow. Yeah.
0: You know, (laughs) I can only assume um, (laughs) bored at work, you know, downtime. She
1: does that. That's like, you watch the the whole internet. Yeah, <laughs> and then it's like, oh what the hell? There's just this w- yeah. one guy's podcast list. <laughs> I'll have to listen it's to that between
0: listening to this podcast and killing myself. And then, then the next day,
1: <laughs> <laughs> then like, then like, you came back, like later, had some more free time, listened to all the new internet that's been created in the last uh, last couple of days, and said, oh, that's when you would get around to and listening to this a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs>
0: so there's a quote I want to read you Chris yeah. okay now before we saw the movie there was a trailer for Spy remember that
1: right right that, that, that was funny. that looked and, funny uh, Melissa McCarthy Melissa McCarthy and, yeah. and Jude Law and, and Jason Statham Jason Statham yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: looks pretty funny <laughs> but that was directed by a guy Paul Fagg who he did bridesmaids, the heat, uh, yeah. freaks and geeks, that that show, and uh, so he he talks about this. He did the little thing about how we used to dress, and it reminded mm. me of of the generations and Mad Men and, and stuff. So I just want to read this little thing. Okay, this is what Paul Fagg says in, in Esquire. I always wanted to be an adult ever since I was a kid. I blame TV. I would see Darren Steffens mixing a pitcher of martinis when he got home from work, or Maude's husband Walter
1: pouring himself a scotch. These are TV characters for those of you that weren't there in the 70s.
0: Yes. Uh, And all I could think was, I want to live like that. I liked a world filled with cocktail parties and nightclub floor shows and giant table lighters. And I knew the uniform for any grown man living in that world was a suit and tie. As the 1980s went on, stand-up comedy became more casual, and so I abandoned those suits for vintage bowling shirts and jeans, which I felt lent me a more accessible persona. My stand-up career took off, but I missed my suits. The irony is that shortly after I purchased that first batch of mall suits, all of the Hollywood power brokers decided they didn't like being identified as the suits. So they switched to jeans and t-shirts, trying to look more like the artist. But my mind was made up. I was sticking with it. I liked wearing a suit and tie. So, we were kind of talking about, like, when did comedians, when did the casual yeah clothing start more? When did the, the look change? Right, and, and, uh, and... He's saying by the 80s, it had definitely changed.
1: Yeah, in, in, in the early 80s, um, you had punk rockers at one extreme. Yeah. And and these guys, but they didn't, they didn't look like, they weren't like dressing like casual. Um, well, let me, let me say this. You had like casual like you'd wear on the street. So you had like your guy, you know, you're wearing your jeans and your, uh, your jeans and t-shirts and stuff like that. But you didn't normally, you know, there weren't jobs where you'd normally, unless you were like a construction worker or you're doing like physical labor, um, even if you, you know, worked in a retail store or something like that, even, you know, you wear your own clothes You'd probably wear something with a collar, most people would wear something with some kind of a collar yeah um you wouldn't wear you wouldn't uh jeans was sort of you know in the sixties kids started wearing jeans, but like you know not for work if you were working in a hardware store or something like that, you'd still wear some kind of a slacks or something, probably some kind of a dress shirt, something with a collar um, you uh you know in this by the end of the seventies that had sort of shifted a little bit. But in even in rock and roll, and in comedy, um, you dressed you dressed up when you were on stage. Yeah. Um, You know the the rock. uh, If you're a rock star, you're Led Zeppelin or something like that. Okay, you could wear jeans, but then you'd wear like jeans without a shirt, and you'd wear (laughs) you'd wear expensive jewelry. You know, you'd have long hair or something like that. But you wouldn't look like every clod you know walking down the street or in the mall or something like that. You were gonna you know your your jeans and your t-shirt and stuff like that were going to stand out right you were going to have some kind of jewelry you were going to have uh um you know something edgy your jeans were going to be torn in all the right places there was going to be some kind of exotic embroidery on it right um and uh and, and all the rock stars you know the guys that were on they the guys that were on stage definitely looked different from anybody that was walking down the street from anybody that was you know, that was, uh, that was just goofing off in the high schools and stuff like that. There was a, you know, you'd wear a silk shirt or something on stage, or you'd wear something that was flashier. There was an element to it. Uh, the punk rockers at the other end of the spectrum, they were decidedly, you know, there was a a far edge, they were decidedly, uh, uh, different from anybody looking down the street. You know, they would, you know, they'd have piercings, you'd have your hair spiked, um, you know you're you might wear leather jeans or or something you'd have some kind of you know extravagant uh style something that was something that was way different from what what any other normal kids were wearing right you, um and then uh this is what we were talking about the other day when grunge hit at the late 80s early 90s that's when um guys that were going on stage bands like nirvana and, uh, and Soundgarden and stuff like that, yeah. And it was a really casual look. They, they back then it, they called them garage bands because they didn't dress for the stage. Yeah. They just dressed like you would normally, you know, like you came home, like you were wearing to school. It was just the same stuff. You you just have torn jeans and you'd have sneakers and and just work boots or something like that and a flannel shirt. And, you know, it wouldn't be buttoned or anything like that. It wasn't neat or tucked in or anything like that. But it wasn't anything at all exotic. You didn't have this flashy jewelry and stuff like that. You just look, you know, nothing. Everything was just sort of, um, it was like maybe thrift store. It wasn't exactly off the shelf. It wasn't something you bought at Kmart or, or Walmart or something like that. Um, I and mean, I think that was their identity. That's, that's who they were. Yeah, but it was they? just casual. You wore the same stuff on the street or that or you're whether you're rehearsing in. or, you you know, that you wore up. The rest of the that you wore the rest of the time is you wore on stage you didn't have a set, separate set of stage clothes or anything like that and 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 that whole idea that between that and rap uh and, and rap music um guys started like wearing stuff that was you know really baggy uh, as opposed to stuff that was tailored and tight fitting um and that was the street look was you wanted something uh stuff was a lot more baggy as opposed to being tailored and fitted to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you were wearing, you know, big giant overcoats and stuff, and, and you know the reason that you'd wear it when you're on the street is because if you're committing crimes and you're you're picking pockets and you're uh, you're you're you know pulling stuff off the you're committing crimes in stores or shoplifting and stuff like that you need the you need the pockets you need a place to carry your drugs you need a place to carry your guns and, and not just carry but I mean to hide it to conceal it you don't want people knowing what you got in your you know what's in your pocket what's in your hand in your pocket and and stuff that's true and um, and and so when gangster you know gangster rap sort of came in that's that was a look that carried from the street to the to the stage and you know you just had a bunch of flashy jewelry and stuff like that but it was a very much a carryover from you know you were you were a gangster you were a hoodlum that was that was the message in the music that was the reality and and so that uh, there was a very direct correlation to that, and so uh when you 're not wearing stuff that 's tailored when you 're wearing stuff that 's big overcoat and stuff like that, um, everything was a lot less formal um so in both genres in rock and in hip hop um and and in mainstream life, everything sort of converged and got less you know businessmen and suits and stuff like that. It was way cooler at some point in the nineties it suddenly became fashionable for like the big executives. To be known, you can see, you know, previously big executives were the most expensive Armani suits, or, you know, the most expensive suits, and you wanted to show how rich you were. And then when you got to the point where, well... There's all kinds of, you know, multimillionaires and stuff are wearing the stuff. Well, the r- really biggest guys, they don't have to show, they don't have to wear the suits. They're so yeah. rich, they're going to wear a t-shirt to the business meeting. Like Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Always wears the hoodie, jeans Where's and a hoodie. the hoodie. Jeans and the hoodie, right? These young dot .com kids. <laughs> And they're so yeah. over the top. rich. That's what rich. forty
0: billion dollars looks like. <laughs> There's, yeah,
1: right? Exactly. <laughs> you know. They're so over the top rich that they're not even going to conform to the business, yeah. you know, standards of the day. They're going to set, you know, set their own new standards and stuff. And so you had this whole new group of guys that was, you know, all the dot com and the West Coast wealth. Um, they had this sort of California, they call it California casual and stuff, and that's what they pushed for business and. And and so the suits and stuff started disappearing from offices, and uh, everybody was just dressed and casual all the time, more and more relaxed, um, and 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 that's that was the mentality. It was just the new fashion was less fashion, sort of to a yeah. degree. And then it then it started reverses again, and 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 you know the jeans and the denim gets really exotic and designer. Now you have mm-hmm. designer T-shirts, designer. I mean, in the seventies, you had like designer jeans, French jeans, and stuff like that that was designer and stuff too. but I mean then the casual look starts getting dressed up in fashion and stuff like that but that's yeah. but that's sort of the thing that you start this is just like how the culture's sort of coming around and around, and yeah, all of a sudden now we're watching episodes of Mad Men and go, well, you know now it's been you know a decade or so that we've been experimenting with all these different levels of casual, and so it's like you know what the sixties those guys were really cool wearing these you know these, yeah. These suits they they look great. Yeah, and They're and that cool. neat, and tidy look and all that stuff and 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 now you're on the cutting edge of fashion by doing something like that when you know, uh, when this other, uh, when all this casual look's been around for so long, so you, you know, you're going to set a new standard now if you start wearing the the suits and go back to the '60s suits. Absolutely. Ultra. Speaking of suits, Chris. Yeah. Revenge porn is interesting. Revenge porn. Yeah.
0: So. Uh, this I've, has
1: been going around for a couple of years now, or it's been, been in the media for a couple of years.
0: Yeah, I saw this this little article. It's about a, a couple that broke up, yeah. and the guy posted nude photos of his ex girlfriend. Right, and this sort of thing happens all the time.
1: Yeah, well, they they started making laws. I mean, it's been around for like I heard about it a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it typically, it happened where you know high school kids or something like that. They they'd go and get the you know naked yes. pictures they took of your past girlfriend or somebody that offended and you. And those are
0: all. Illegal, so that you definitely don't want.
1: Yeah, well, it wasn't as illegal then as it is now.
0: Yeah, when, when the internet was just starting. The The reason she made this article is because she responded by then posting classy nude photos of herself. Uh, do, doing stuff like reading a book or looking uh, out the window and right, stuff. Right. But anyways, so I'll tell you why this is interesting after I read it. Sadly, Emma's experience with her ex is far from uncommon. The Huffington Post states, According to a 2013 McAfee survey, 10% of ex-partners have threatened to release intimate photographs, and 60% of those people follow through on said threats. An estimated 90% of revenge uh, porn victims are women. My first thought was... That's not terrible. 10% of ex-partners threaten and then 60% of those do it. 60% times 10% that's like 6%. So of really all we're breakups. like 6%. 6% of all breakups. Yeah. Go through with it. And that I mean that's kind of low, I think. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in the age of sexting where these photos are available anyway,
1: Right. Where everybody's well, yeah. This isn't an age where everybody's got their camera with them all the time because their phone is a camera.
0: Yeah. Sometimes I'm reading these articles that I, I think are a huge epidemic. I'm like, well, that's actually not, not a, a crazy statistic. It seems kind of low. That still seems
1: kind of <laughs> low. Yeah, <laughs> it, seems, it seems like more people should be posting uh, revenge porn. And and why does it have to be? Why does it have to be revenge? You're not with that person anymore. Screw them. Put new pictures up. Yeah. <laughs> drive, drive. Yeah. Drive traffic to your Facebook site already. Sixty percent of that ten percent <laughs> of ten percent. That's only six percent. We're gonna need more. <laughs> Okay, but 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 of that 6%, now we still don't know how many of those are like actually attractive pictures, I mean. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> or quality pictures. I mean, they, how many people, people would care yeah, about Yeah, the yeah, the people might not be especially attractive to begin with and then if they're a position that's not especially attractive or the you know the photograph's not a good photo or something or the lighting's bad or something. Yeah. So, you know, how many of it would be porn you'd actually want to watch? Or of those Which
0: which one of the women's have already leaked their own
1: photos? (laughs) Yeah, there's already stuff up there. (laughs) Yeah, you know, so well that's the thing is like you could understand it's like if you were dating a porn star or somebody that was already pretty comfortable with themselves, not a lot of pictures up there. There'd be that's that wouldn't be any kind of revenge for you to post. Yeah These other pictures So that would So maybe that explains Why there's only 6% Of these breakup photos Cause, cause, cause uh, The 10% Where they threaten it 90% of them Are already people That are like Comfortable having Naked pictures of Themselves out there And there's no threat yeah.
0: <laughs> And 10% Of that 6% Are men So yeah. it's even A little less Yeah Than that Cool It's a good song So over the past year of podcasting and whatnot, we've watched every Cameron Crowe film.
1: Oh yeah, we have now.
0: Yeah, and we talked about all of them. So the highlights would definitely be stuff like Almost Famous, Famous, Fast Times, Times. which he wrote, Jerry Maguire. Yeah. Um which I, you know, wasn't my personal favorite, but I, I appreciate the quality. It seems like everything's gone
1: downhill since. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, sh- Say anything it was great. Yeah. So his it's- his last two, basically, were Elizabethtown and We Bought a Zoo. Yeah. And now this new movie, Aloha.
1: Aloha, which is not the popular
0: with the critics. No, it hasn't. Um. Aloha was interesting. My, If I'm comparing it to We Bought a Zoo, We Bought a Zoo had no big ideas. It's basically a, a widow father and the kids.
1: Yeah, it seemed like you could see everything coming. It didn't feel like there were any surprises yeah. in that movie. It's 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 the most
0: uh, family-friendly PG like, of all I, his movies. Yeah, I
1: kept waiting for there to be something that would tell me that there's going to be a climax in the movie, and there's <laughs> just... Yeah, It just seemed like everything was telegraphed so far in advance. You know, you had the yeah, idea very... that they bought a zoo. They don't know what they're doing with a zoo. Uh, you have these characters that are running the zoo or characters. <laughs> surprise. Yeah. Um, no, they're. why would they have trouble getting the zoo to open? Why would they have more financial problems? It's, it's just, it didn't, it, it just did not hold my attention. You know, it's, uh, I thought Matt, you know, I thought Matt Damon played a, he did a good job playing a, a character that just wasn't especially entertain, entertaining. I, I think part of it's just yeah, it's Cameron Crowe, and you're bland. expecting this big message to come through, like in any of his, you know, the, in his previous movies, and yeah. just, you know,
0: that one seemed the most phoned in. I think it was based on someone's book. Didn't feel like a way. Cameron
1: Crowe movie. Felt more like a Disney movie.
0: Yeah, felt more like a paycheck movie. <laughs> yeah, Cameron's got to pay the bills. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, he, this
1: is the, this is the year 2015. I, this is the year 2015. This is Aloha. Um, I didn't really know what to to expect from the trailer. You know, it's it's something about Hawaii in this vague way. And you've got, uh, in the trailers they show, you know, the military and there's Emma Stone. Yeah, and, first movie uh, in four years. Yeah, they got a lot I'm of good names there. They got Probably. Bill Murray. They got John Krasinski, uh, Bradley Cooper, huge name, Emma
0: Stone. Huge right now, Emma Stone, Rachel McAdams. Alec
1: Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. Yeah. So just a lot of talent in this movie. And you're thinking, well, how can this miss? Yeah. Um, It's something about Hawaii. And most
0: of them are good. Yeah. Like, these are talented actors. Yeah. You know, you just wish they had a little more, like, meat to chew.
1: Right. Um. Uh. The the plot had a lot of sort of twists and complications and stuff. And oh, so
0: sorry. So the whole point of bringing up we bought a zoo. Right. Was to saying, this movie has a lot of big ideas and a lot going on, and he doesn't really follow through. He doesn't really execute them all greatly.
1: I th- I think maybe something something about the pacing isn't right. Yeah. Um. It's it's a lot of the, you you have a you have an idea about the Hawaiian culture. And it's clashed with modern society. Yeah. And so you sort of have to know a little bit about the history of Hawaii.
0: So what's the beginning
1: montage we see? There, there's
0: presidents, there's stuff about... Oh, the uh, space
1: race. Yeah. It's sort of the space and the military issue. And it's about this career um, military sort of technician guy. And he's, he's had a big downfall in Kabul... And he's been injured, and he sort of you know he introduces himself as having his career was in the military, and he had all these dreams as a kid about you know being in the space, being in the uh, a fighter jet, being in NASA. But you know the NASA's budget's destroyed in two thousand eight, and the military's budget you know is is basically gutted, and he falls into the hands of the you know the private. Uh, uh, the the what do you want to call it? the 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 private contractors mm-hmm. that contract with the military. He has he he mentioned something about Kabul, being in Kabul, and getting you know getting blown up and he almost died, and so now he's sort of, you know, uh, stuck in the situation where he's trying to get uh, catch on, um, with the private company get back in the good graces of the private contractors again and he's got this mission he says he's supposed to supervise a bridge crossing and it's like what the hell does that mean how did you get you're not in the military you're you're getting contracted by the military he meets all these guys that he used to know um to supervise a bridge opening it's like well, how complicated can that be and um and they don't really talk about all the background history that the Hawaiian culture and the Hawaiians have with the American government but there's sort of this and so, so they you, didn't
0: like the there's something with burial grounds and, and land and not wanting to build on certain parts. Right.
1: Um, uh, if and, you saw and a lot of
0: superstitions with with myths and you know.
1: Yeah, if you saw the dependence with George Clooney, they get into the uh, yeah. the history of Hawaii. You really kind of got to go to the history books and look at how Hawaii became uh, part of the Union and stuff. Yeah. It was basically taken over by the American government. Um, it was a sovereign power, but without a military they they never had an option to fight or to to yeah. resist the americans the americans needed it
0: not with spears <laughs> yeah
1: the americans needed it in world war 2 for the military uh, as a strategic military base and 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 then it became a state and the the Hawaiians, uh i believe they had the the queen um uh i forget her name the queen at the t- the head of the Hawaii, uh, hawaiian um uh Monarchy of the kingdom was a uh, queen Leilani. Uh, what was her name? Anyways, but she was incarcerated oh. for a period of something like eighteen months or something. Um, I I don't remember all the details. I lived in Hawaii, and I get you know the story, bits and pieces of the story. But it but basically, there was the Hawaiian people who were disenfranchised. Um, they they got sold. They got they got they had a lot of money and they had a lot of wealth and they had a lot of lands, but they lost the control to say in. Uh, um, in, the, in the ownership of their property and the American government, you know, sort of took over. Um, and so, but they still have a claim, you know, and a king. And and within the Hawaiian community, there's fights as to who's the, you know, who's the king and who's supposed to be in charge now. And that's part of the problem the Hawaiians have is they're just not all that well organized. And they, you know, they fight with each other as much as they do with the American courts about who's right. but But the t-shirt of the guy... Uh, of the guy that's the king, Bumpy, this guy that played himself in the movie, um, uh, his, his his shirt says, um, "Hawaiian by birth, by birth, American by, by force. force," and that's yeah. it in a nutshell. And and that's the that's the issue a lot of the Hawaiians have, uh, and it's very frustrating for them within their culture to sort of deal with the values, because it's as much a religious and spiritual discrepancy. Yeah. To deal with the American government. Their issues that they have uh the Hawaiian culture uh is very much uh focused around their ancestors mm-hmm. and their history. They've got, you know, they're they're more invested in that than they are in the future. And and so it's very hard for them to sort of uh to sort of communicate um their values uh and treaties and and really, what they want is respect for their ancestors and their beliefs and their religious system. And the American government doesn't. <laughs> it's sort of designed not to recognize anything religious or spiritual. And, and yeah. And so there's all these cultural beliefs that the American um, Americans sort of stomp on whenever they go over there. And that's what that's what uh, the character in the movie Aloha, um, uh, Bradley Cooper's character. Gilchrist is over there to negotiate with these Hawaiians and sort of Yeah make sure that they're not say gonna... they want communication yeah they, they need, they... yeah, they need the blessings of the Hawaiian leadership there on this thing and so that they don't get interrupted permission to use this facility and and at the same time that they're 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 blessing this bridge and this ground uh they're opening this bridge or this doing this land thing, they're also launching a satellite. Yeah. Uh, or or it wasn't scheduled to be released the same day but but the tech, the guy Bradley Cooper's character also has. He's one of the he's one of the technicians that they have there in case they need his help with the technology for the satellite launch. He's a, he's a computer, um, whiz. Yeah. So, which they don't really talk about at all until the very, until the, uh, the last what half hour of the movie, fifteen minutes of the movie, when all of a sudden they get. He gets called in. Yeah, to so fix Bill Murray's
0: worried that the Chinese have hacked into his.
1: Yeah, Bill Murray represents launch. private uh, enterprise, and so yeah, so he has the Hawaiian culture is part of the story. The other part of the story is a sort of mixed up love story in this history that Bradley Cooper has with Rachel McAdams' character, mm-hmm. um, where she's but she's now um, she, he was never married to Gilchrist, on the verge of it. Yeah. and now she's married to this other guy that Gilcrest knows, Woodside, other which guy. is John Krasinski's character, yeah, Woody. Yeah, and so she's Woodside. married. They've got a family and kids, and there's a sort of love, love. What would you call it? Quadrangle going on. And there's also Emma Stone's character, who's who's mm-hmm. featured, and she's uh, she's the new girl in the story. Um, she does not have a history with yeah. anybody, but she's assigned to by the military to be the watchdog for um, Bradley Cooper's character, Gilchrist. And so she's constantly with him. And so eventually they have this sexual tension that they have to resolve. And um, and so there's, like I said, this love quadrangle. There's four people. There's Gilchrist and Emma, uh, Bradley Cooper's character, Emma Stone's character, Rachel McAdams, and John Krasinski, all sort of in this mess. And um, so you have the romance going on. Then, like you were saying, there's Bill, Mer- Bill Murray plays... Um, uh, he's one of these really rich. You can you said he was like Elon Musk. He's like Elon Musk. right. He's got so all this so money. Who's, who's that? Elon Musk. Elon Musk owns that SpaceX. Cool. He's um, also owns Tesla. He also not just owns it, but he's like an engineer that sort of came up with these concepts and laid out the foundations yeah. of the company. And I mean, he's like he's like Ford and Edison. He's a pretty big and, deal. Yeah, he's like Ford and Edison and Westinghouse. And Tesla, all in the same guy. Richard Branson. Yeah, Richard Branson, all in the same <laughs> guy. So he's got, uh, that's who Elon Musk is. Bill Murray plays a guy that's got a private space contracting company. Elon Musk owns SpaceX, which has the Dragon um, uh, rockets that oh. service the space station. In the movie, Bill Murray's character plays a guy sort of like him that um, he's got, he's he's
0: well, they say at the beginning it's 08 and at the recession,
1: yeah, so they
0: want these private people to come in and help pay right
1: NASA's been gutted, the, the military's been gutted, they don't have money, so yeah. it's private companies now. just well in reality, it's satellites. private companies that are that are taking over NASA's role, that yeah. are launching satellites now yeah. that are servicing and... the space station that are doing this stuff. so uh, Bill Murray's character owns a company called uh, Global One, and they're sending up a satellite.
0: Oh, it's good, memory. Yeah,
1: space, uh, space satellite, and so so there's this tension between the role of the private companies and the military. What used to be all an all military and all government operation is now now the private companies are in control, contracting services from the military, sort of taking over what used to be done by the military and NASA. And so Bill Murray's got this uh, rocket that's going up, this that's delivering a uh, uh, space. Uh, um, satellite and it 's being launched with uh uh on a military out of off of a military base um with the, the support ocean. of yeah with the support of the air force and the military staff um, and it turns out there 's a bunch of nukes on it i
0: mean yeah
1: well it 's unclear through most sort of, of the movie exactly what 's on it but there's what 's apparent is that there 's as you can 't tell who knows what uh yeah but at a certain point a bunch of different characters find out that there's something on this on this rocket on the satellite going up that's not supposed to be there or that is questionable and what are we gonna do about it? You know, it hasn't been cleared, it's not part of the official uh yeah. design. You know
0: and this is sort of if I may, the the stuff that seems a little forced is this kid with the video camera who sneaks into this
1: base, records this rocket... But he doesn't sneak on. He's the... He's the... He's the... The son of Krasinski's character. So he lives on the base. I live in the officer's quarters. But he's always got his video camera out. Yeah. And he's just... Sneaking fas- around. Anyway. Yeah. And he's fascinated by all the stuff that's going on around him. He's, you know, he's a... he he's He's got... In his room, he's got all these historical space vehicles, all the different rockets and stuff from the Apollo missions and up sure. through the space shuttle and stuff. And he video and he and, and so the kids you know like a kid. He's just he, he he loves this culture and he knows all this stuff and he's memorized all this information. and yeah, he's filming he, the he films the this and he's watching it on TV. And Emma Stone watching is jogging video.
0: by and walks in at the moment walks where in, <laughs> right and sees what this this little this kid, kid is videotaped. So, right, you know, there's there's some luck involved. She's, yeah, <laughs> she that sort of thing. The,
1: the little kid sees something. He's not exactly sure what he's looking at and, to begin with, she, but Emma Stone definitely recognizes. She's like that the one person who could recognize. Yeah, she's an expert on this. On. on this, yeah, on this device, and so she recognizes. And she knows that. more than Bradley Cooper does. Right, she, she says this isn't. This is not part of that. the official design. They're sneaking something in here. This is, uh, right. So yeah, it, it does seem a little a little contrived. But the you know the important part of the plot is that Emma Stone finds out that this thing is not a completely legit operation. This private company has got something in the works that's not being made public, and it should be you know this should be more open. This is not a military classified operation that the CIA is endorsing. It's just supposed to be a private satellite, and so the the glitch in the or the what what's been discussed in the plot is that. The United States government has all these treaties mm-hmm. with other countries. All the countries have treaties not to put weapons into space. That's like a big deal. Yeah. But private contractors do you not have any such treaties. Drop them at any time. Right. Yeah. Right. So the fact that the military, you know, as far on the military's behalf, they're helping. You know, they're just uh, they're supporting the private contractor launches rocket. Yeah, what they've got on it is not really apparently the military's concern, right? So they're not inspecting this thing. There's it still has to be against the law to do that, though. What law? What law? Who owns space? Who's telling? You know, that's that's exactly the point of the movie is that. Yeah, who, who's, I guess no one. Owns what, space. what law and who's enforcing it? You know, it's sort of like the maritime laws out in the out in the oceans. Uh, you know, there's there's different laws for different countries um, that exist within a couple of miles, one hundred or you know 50 miles or 20 miles of the of the coast when when you know the local coast guard or the local navy or the local uh, patrols are out there to enforce it but out in the middle of the pacific who is in charge of enforcing international maritime laws
0: yeah i mean you can't really enforce that
1: right and and, and even more so for space so um uh so so there's a sort of definitely gray area and that's what the movie comes to at the last minute. Is what's you know we have we have the two characters uh, that are in the know about this thing. Um, Emma Stone's character and she's young, kind of naive, has got her whole career in front of her, uh, mm-hmm. at the top of her game, has huge potential. Um, but she's one quarter Hawaiian. She's so proud of this part that she's one quarter Hawaiian, <laughs> and she totally respects the the Hawaiian culture, and she's just. She believes all this, you know. All, she believes in the many huna's and and the mana, the you know, the soul of yeah. of, of all this, and all best... these spirits and stuff. And she's just very spiritual on all these levels as a Hawaiian. And and the Hawaiians believe that you you know that the sky is sacred. You know, you don't put weapons yeah. in the sky. And she's promised, made promise to the king that you know they, that nothing that was gonna happen on this bridge on the you know in the course of this military thing. Nobody was gonna put any weapons in the sky. And then she finds out that it looks like that's what there is definitely a threat. This is what's possible potentially going on. And and she and and she goes sort of head to head with Bradley Cooper's character, whose perspective is he's been involved with the military his whole life. He's at the end of his career. Well, he's got very few career options left. Yeah. He's he's been blown up. He's been damaged. He's been suspect. He's done all these things that are really gray. Um, the military, you know, won't have him anymore. Uh, there's no place for him in, in the in the legit army. He's already made his choice to work for the private contractor, and he's made a bad name for himself there because he's done all these sort of edgy things. Um, he said he stole from
0: Afghanistan he
1: stole yeah Bill Murray Bill Murray says that he stole money from he stole $100,000 at one point in (laughs) Afghanistan who he stole it from and exactly what goes on you know in the middle of a war how are you stealing money if the battle you know the property is unclear Um, but the fact that he took this money that um uh, so so he's made a name for himself as being sort of this semi-criminal this edgy guy he's dodgy to work with um there's he, a lot of vagueness. There's a lot of vagueness about exactly who he is, but he's a very cynical person. Yeah. He's a guy with very few options left. And that's what he intru- That's how, sort of how he introduces himself he's at the beginning to be of the movie. He's supposed be a likable character. He's very closed. He doesn't have relationships. He's not, he's not likable. He's not open. He's really closed. He, he's got all these stickers on his laptop that represent all the different relationships he's been in, but none of. But you know, he has this discussion with this Emma Stone's character um, about how he can never open up. He's all closed and he's and he's shut down, and uh, and that's what's prevented him from having any kind of lasting relationships. You know that he's just sort of, he just sort of abandons all these women. You know he has these. These relationships, and he's got all these—you know—they're all notches, sort of. <laughs> yeah. Just sort of these notches on his bedpost. You know, all these stickers on his laptop of all these—you know—women that he's experienced and then abandoned, and he's not in it for the long term. You know, he's just a real closed down, shut down, beat up, scarred person that that may never ever have a, a long term relationship in him, and 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 so he's he's making he's the one that. He, this is like his last chance to do something right, and he's he's totally aware of all these Hawaiian sort of spiritual understandings, and he just kind of laughs at him and just kind of nods his head at him. And he's like, "Yeah, I know the story. Yeah, I know the legend. Yeah, I know how that's supposed to work." He goes, "It's it's you know it's just uh, it's 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 not real. It's you know it's just it's a nice story to believe. You know everything's Santa Claus to him." You know, it's not really real, it's just sort of this fantasy that's convenient to believe and you know, you know, st- stories that we tell the kids. And so uh
0: He has a point. I mean
1: Well, I mean that's know, just where he's at. That's just who his character <laughs> is. And so um so he's at this place in his life where it's like, Okay, what is that you know, what is that left for him? There's you know, he how can he ever enjoy anything? What is what is meaningful for him? He sold everything. He sold he's completely sold out, he's got nothing left to sell. Um nobody trusts him anymore. You know, there's there's no reason to believe anything he says and anymore. He's also questioning if
0: domestic life is happiness and possible. Looking at Rachel McAdams and says, So you're happy and she won't really answer.
1: Yeah. So
0: he's like yeah. eh, maybe this isn't all right cracked up to be. She's so, still full of stress and she lives in Hawaii.
1: Right. So all at the same time, Cameron Crowe's movie it's uh romantic, it's dramatic. It's cultural, you know, this, this sort of story on, on the struggle that the Hawaiians face. So it's this this cultural sort of uh, conflict. Um, it's technology. It's uh, it's a, it's sort of a challenge to um, on a military level, you know, about yeah. the role of military versus private, versus you know, honesty and, and openness versus um, this sort of you know need to know kind of thing and we're not in the cold war anymore but we do have issues with terrorists mm-hmm. you know and, and they don't talk about that yeah but they do talk about you know se- you know security a little bit there's elements about keeping this thing secure and well, whose business in it is it yeah. you know what 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 the private enterprise does you know and because this isn't crow
0: sort of area of expertise he's sort of a little late to the game I
1: don't know whether it is I'd or it isn't. To kind of be hooking us to be interested in this. He's he's topic. He's got this this reputation for writing about what he knows and having experienced so many of these things. Yeah. Um, so so you know I'd like to know where you know what his background is and all this stuff. What is what his level of research is. Um, I found uh, Emma Stone's character that was challenging. The fact that because she, she plays she introduced introduces herself as a Raptor pilot, a fighter pilot, an F-22 pilot, which is the most state-of-the-art, most technically advanced fighter, um, most technically advanced fighter aircraft ever been made, maybe ever Mm -hmm. will be made, that's piloted. Um, The future sort of seems to belong to the drones now. So it's probably going to be like, you know, it could well be the last piloted aircraft uh, that the military um, employs in a fight, in a, in a, uh, in a, as a weapon yeah you know um so her
0: personality was a lot like kirsten Dunst in elizabeth town there's a perkiness bubbliness energy not dumb right because she is smart but just that sort of outgoing right really bubbly dick uh, pixie dream girl. really bubbly really full of saying. energy
1: just asserting herself into everything just wordy explaining everything, jumping in with, you know, when she's not asked, just jumping into conversations. And... Yeah. Um, and I felt like... What I've always been told about fighter pilots is it's completely 100% the opposite. They're just really cool, quiet, yeah. talking characters. More like John Krasinski's character. John Krasinski just comes into a room, doesn't say anything. You know, he expresses himself with a look, with a gesture. Um, that seemed more you know, the role of a military pilot, uh, that's, that's what, you know, that's what I've always read, that the military pilots are like, all the, you know, the, the guys I know that are in the military that are pilots, they're just cool, they keep an even strain, um, you know, their, their, their whole character, yeah, he never gets mad, he does right. lose his cool, yeah. Just don't, everything's, everything's just relaxed. Very logical. Yeah, their, their whole character, their whole qualification for being as a pilot, is they're cool under fire, they're cool under stress, they just, yeah. And and nothing. He
0: did decapitate Santa, right? Which
1: you say he deserved? Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, Yeah, a military pilot. uh, Unless he's fighting a plane, uh, flying a plane in combat, he's not really under that much stress. So it didn't. Her character just didn't feel to me at all like a pilot. Why did it? Why did it even need to be a pilot? It just seemed something seemed wrong there. It was a little disturbing. Yeah, I mean,
0: she's kind of just. She's a romantic comedy character. <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, I she mean, kinda, her, she's
0: a girl with a crush. She's a know. girl with
1: a crush. Yeah, that seemed fine. It seemed fine that she was in the military. That she was a woman seemed fine. She just the in, in the role there was nothing. the The fact that she was a fighter pilot played no part in the plot. Um, nothing happened. Yeah, I mean, she, she had
0: everyone's respect. Uh, well, at one
1: point, know. she got into a got into a climbed into a uh, into a pilot seat on the F twenty two. But that's all that they showed her doing. There wasn't any point in the movie, there wasn't anything that where she was flying the plane that was ever part of the story or 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 that was ever part of the plot. So, it it, it just seems sort of pointless to mention that she yeah. was a fighter pilot.
0: And, you know, Emma Stone's very likable, of course, but the more interesting thing to me as far as uncharted territory was the fact that he might get back with this ex and... Um, the, it could have gone
1: either way at the yeah. end, you know. Yeah, but this
0: I think curveball of the daughter being his doesn't
1: really go anywhere. Right, this daughter Who's doing saying. there's a lot of hula in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was that was interesting. Yeah, there's it just seemed like there was a lot of parts of it that didn't really go anywhere that wasn't really telling the story or especially interesting. And um, I think if you were Hawaiian, it would was an interesting movie, but if you weren't weren't to hawaiian um and you didn't know the 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 history of the hawaiian people yeah um it was it it, it was very sort of a weird movie to watch because it was all about this hawaiian culture but it doesn't really give you the background of of the disenfranchised hawaii that's not part of the movie they don't tell yeah. you about the history of hawaii
0: who was the deal with rachel mcadams was she in the military at some points was she just a civilian. Yeah, I, I, I don't think
1: she had a military background. She was she was the wife of John Krasinski, who was a military yeah. pilot. So they were living on the base, and it didn't really tell you what. As far as much as they told she just you, kept meeting these guys who, because she lived there. Well, she might have lived near a base at one point, and that's how she got involved. And with, now she does all like the with Bradley, Bradley the, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. when for, the dead bodies for come. as much as much as they as much as for whatever reason that they told you that. Emma Stone's character was a, a Raptor pilot, that she was an F-22 pilot, that she was a fighter jock, and it was irrelevant to the story. Um, it didn't tell you um, anything about Krasinski's job in the military, because he had like one of the better houses Would on you the base. We do see him flying, though. He's, but, yeah, but he's flying a cargo plane. That's like <laughs> the, one of the lowest grades of pilots in the military. Yeah. In in the Air Force, he's he's flying freaking cargo planes. It's like the giant what was it, the C130s or something like that or bigger than those. But that's what he was flying. And and so those guys are like on the low I mean, you know, I think even the guys that that fly the the planes that refuel in flight have to be better pilots than the cargo plane pilots. Yeah, cuz they're flying tankers with, you know, with fuel in them and shit. Then there's uh, I think up near the top the top of the charts, the two top of the charts that argue with each other about who's the best are the the fighter jacks are way up there. Um, and then there's like the attack planes, or you call them the F.A. fighter attack, or you know, they used to call them bombers, now they call them attack planes that are for delivering, you know, um, bombing raids and stuff. And, and yeah. uh, it was sort of this, and those guys are up there, but you know, then you have like the the B-52 pilots or something like the <laughs> oldest shit beat up planes and all the different stuff. And the cargo planes are way down at the bottom of the list. You know, it's yeah. Uh, you know, chopper pilots are up there and stuff. So how does Krasinski's character rate this great house? That's right across the street from the, from the officer's housing. What was that? I forget what he was across from, but he had this great house with the, you know, one of the best houses on the corner and stuff.
0: And she seems a little shallow when she mentions that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, well, Why so, yes. are you with this guy? Why do you like this guy?
1: I mean, he's a good father when he's here, and yeah, he's I don't kinda... want to lose the house. Like yeah, that's what literally was... what
0: she says. Yeah,
1: and it was, but it was a guy that apparently that that uh, that Bradley Cooper knew because they they were talking on the flight over. He's flying, you know. He's sitting next to him, and they're talking like they're old buddies or something like that.
0: Oh, I don't know about that. Matt. When Maybe they first were flying the in, transport. they were they
1: were talking about how they did, and they said, you know, oh yeah, how was your how was cool? you got blown up in Kabul or something like that? So yeah. they there was some interaction or something, but but uh, it just seemed, yeah, they were, yeah, it just seemed funny that for whatever, however, Krasinski seemed like he was important to the story in a lot of ways, and whatever his job was there, um, but they never mentioned exactly, you know. How the guy that's flying cargo planes gets like this best house, and it seems like that should have been important.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and you kind of—I mean, I'm I'm sort of like Cameron Crowe in his in his interest, but
1: yeah, that sort of thing doesn't interest Cameron Crowe as much, you right? Know? No, but if if the fact that if the fact that Emma Stone's character was a fighter pilot and she's never flying the frickin', you know, the frickin' F twenty two in the whole movie, yeah. But if that was needed to be mentioned from the get-go, and you know, then why wasn't Krasinski's you know job as a pilot? You know, why wasn't his yeah. his his role as an officer? What happened to him that he got he, he's so screwed up he, he can't fly fighters or or attack planes or something yeah, like the, that? These
0: are not questions Crow's interested in answering. About no, I know. <laughs> it's not really where his interest lies. Yeah, it seems like this is a movie about returning home, dealing with the past that you've kind of been running from. Whatever he did in those thirteen yeah. years, and, but we really didn't get enough foundation to where we cared about the returning home. There wasn't a lot of build up to that. Well, it's it's it seems like it's like we're some, sort of trying to I figure it out problem, as it goes along. The problem along.
1: with the movie is that it doesn't know what it is. It's it's a movie about the privatization now of the army and NASA, <laughs> at the same time that it's about the sort of this love story and these beat up old war heroes. Or uh, if they're war heroes, if they're exactly heroes, or who they are, yeah. and it's conflict with this ancient Hawaiian culture, this sort of—I think Bradley's very likable. I I do stand by that.
0: I think he's kind of bland, yeah. Though the the the
1: the trailer didn't. The trailer couldn't even hope he does to a lot address of standing
0: around and watching people. <laughs> yeah,
1: the trailer couldn't even <clears throat> hope to address what the movie was about. It's just called Aloha, and you see Emma Stone, and she's smiling and driving with with Bradley Cooper so you you know it promises a sort of romance between them yeah and and I think Bill Murray was met, was mentioned in it and stuff like that but when you put Bill Murray in your trailer you're expecting some kind of comedy element and that wasn't really in there at all there yeah, was no or, comedy or he's to like it like the wise old mentor like you know this he was weird but he wasn't <laughs> funny his character was definitely weird it wasn't at all funny which is fine cuz Bill Murray's played a lot of he's yeah. done a, a I consider him, he's done good as a serious actor in a lot of movies. He's had some...
0: Yeah, I think Alec Baldwin had the best bit part.
1: Yeah. For, the, Baldwin for the few, few scenes job. he was in, you yeah. kind of
0: knew who that character
1: was. and Well, who was the guy that played Fingers? Sense. That was another guy that did a great Gain job. Danny McBride. Yeah. Oh, was that... God, I didn't even recognize him. Yeah. What does... a great job. He looks quite different with his yeah. haircut. What a great job he did. Uh, I always thought of him as a comedian more than anything, but that was an excellent... Yeah, his character was really good, so I kind of wanted more people to be at at Alec Baldwin's level. Alec Baldwin,
0: because Crow excels at supporting characters. It, it wasn't usually. a problem
1: of the the actors; the plot was the whole problem. Yeah, I I, I mean I think the plot and the pacing yeah. it just didn't there wasn't Go I didn't feel any sort of a climax, uh, you know the the climax or tension or something like that. The romance bits were sort of predictable, uh, and. It it just felt like they they could have spent they they for it to really sell they needed to explain the sort of tension between the native Hawaiian elements. Yeah. You know they needed I, to get the backstory on that. Bradley carried it the the best he could. He's kind of a guy who's at
0: the end of his path and there's no more path. Yeah. That's laid out in front of him. This is what I do.
1: Well, usually, usually when you see a trailer, I sort of
0: consider. I'm done with war. I'm done with my tour. I'm done with this. What do I do now? You know? Yeah.
1: When when you see a trailer, I sort of consider that the the uh, movie makers contract with the audience. Mm-hmm. In other words, they're saying this is what this you can is, expect. This yeah, you're gonna pay your money for to see this movie. Uh, it's gonna be a a solid romance, or it's gonna be a good comedy, or it's gonna be you know a good drama. And so you couldn't really tell what the hell it was from either the title or the trailer. You know, it sort yeah. of promise this sort of vague idea of a romance. Hawaiian yeah. adventure thing. I didn't think it was that much of a comedy. It was not a comedy at all. There wasn't anything yeah. comedic in it. Not one bit comedy. <laughs> there was hula. There was yeah, some... Yeah, well... Not, not even really hula. It was just like... Just the hands from the hula. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you it's, it's see. more subtle, the
0: comedy, probably.
1: No, it's not. What was comedy in it? Think, well, tell the me. stuff
0: with the subtitles of them not talking. I mean, there's it's it's all in dialogue, it's all in just the sort of banter the sort of yeah sort of fights it's
1: i don't I don't even know if that was comedy it was uh, they're just like making sure you got the translation of what was going on between them <laughs> it, it's it's yeah, not really comedic um no, it was just that the movie didn't know what it was, I think I think that the tone of the music in the trailer sense that there was going to be sort of a comedic element about it maybe yeah and and you didn't really have that um there wasn't sort of this fun military romp that you would have had in in uh the sort of military adventure that you might expect in like a you know in a James Bond thing where it's almost comedic sort of you know execution of some plan <laughs> or something there wasn't that type of military yeah. Type of stuff. There was yeah.
0: A, I think it was definitely
1: going for more drama. This, yeah. The the most the most the drama was they returning. launched the the rocket for the satellite, and the Chinese are trying to hack it, and that whole part lasts for about five minutes. That yeah. was a solid five minutes of action. Then he uses Other sound than that,
0: waves. he sends up the sound waves. Yeah, they don't really get exactly. What,
1: yeah, it's hard. It was hard to tell exactly what the hell they were talking about there, but there was about five minutes of action. And then the rest of the movie didn't really, it was drama or romance, you know, this sort of mix of of, of this drama romance, but, um, really frustrating movie (laughs) to to watch. It, It wasn't exactly disappointing till you realized how far along you were and, and how little was happening.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, there was an element where they captured Bill Murray, the army guys come and, you know, take Bill Murray away at the end. But you didn't hate him that much. I mean, it's not like you yeah, hated that guy. he was so likable. He wasn't exactly likable. He doesn't... he didn't seem like the kind of guy who would drop nukes on he countries. Was, <laughs> he was kind of intense. He was kind of intense, but he was also dancing with Emma Stone. Yeah. I mean, that was probably the closest thing to comedy was, was he's dancing with Emma Stone and he pulls out like the one-legged Ghostbuster hop dance thing and the one step (laughs) it's like that's like a nod to his ghostbuster day so it's like okay there's that but but there wasn't yeah but but his his character wasn't comedic he gives uh bradley cooper this really weird back rub but it wasn't a comedic moment everybody's just looking at each other like the guy's nuts he's just goofy um yeah no it's just awkward <laughs> it's just awkward.
0: It was awkward. Well, let's see what some people on Rotten Tomatoes said. This currently has a fourteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes, okay. which is low for the record. All
1: right. Well, it's gone up two percent since the last <laughs> <Sunday>. <laughs> yeah. it's since it's the for... since the podcast be- began. We've generated plus two percent, <laughs> even with its. Off balance,
0: over stuffed storytelling. The film maintains a charm and energy that never flags, with brisk pacing and generally engaging performances from its deep bench cast. So that was a positive review.
1: Yeah, the performances of the of the of the characters. I guess you. Yeah, those were those were good. Like we said, the it wasn't the. I just thought this
0: was so. I just thought it was boring. I was really struggling with like. I was disappointed. I don't know that there's it a lot there's stuff happening on paper but like come on.
1: Yeah, it wasn't exactly boring. It was it was interesting, but it wasn't what you would expect from Cameron Crowe. I was really disappointed in the plot that the stuff was predictable. I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop for something more interesting to come along for the for the for the you know, for there to be yeah. more plot twists for a really interesting character to come along. You know, like you watch <laughs> Almost Famous, you watch say anything you watch Jerry Maguire and there's just these characters that are just so enigmatic and, and interesting and entertaining yeah. and they've got these these just amazing lines in the situation and none of that was in there. The characters yeah. they the characters just were not that interesting.
0: I appreciate the effort. Yeah. That he at least he made another adult movie. Yeah, if you will. Crow introduces a serious topic without really examining it. And even the romance fills off with a pair of lovers who seem mismatched to complete the picture. crow tags on an ending that's convenient but not convincing, yeah, yeah, it did seem convenient hm uh,
1: i don't I don't know about that convenient I don't know what they mean by convenient yeah. yeah. well, convenient, I mean, like all the loose ends sort of get tied up and stuff like that, but that's uh that's how it is you have. You had this one point well, where,
0: well, just the black and white of okay, now Murray's the villain, Bradley's the hero. Yeah, happily ever after. Yeah,
1: <laughs> without doing anything. Yeah, Bradley the guy Cooper comes ge- back to his wife. That's great. Without doing anything, Bradley, Bradley Cooper. That's Bradley great. Cooper goes from being this sort of martyr, this guy that sacrificed his career and everything. Somehow, his daughter
0: knows he's the father just because he looks at her through the window dancing. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. the most undramatic like revelation of. Life.
1: Well, no. If you look at the ending I'm from the, the point where he from the point where he blows up the satellite, he does the thing that causes the satellite to blow up, right? Yeah. So at the point that he's doing it, he knows he's he's just trashed his career. So he's making this huge sacrifice. Yeah. And so then he starts to get chewed out, and Bill Murray's he's like, like telling down. him that he's going to go down, and all these other guys, you know, he's. And he cancels his con kind of, and the and Alec Baldwin's character has this one great scene where he's he's yelling and screaming and he slams the door and glass breaks and stuff. And it's kinda of predictable. But it's still, you know, solid job by Baldwin, but he's you know, tells him that he he how he he's gonna go down, he's gonna have to testify at these Senate hearings and all this trouble that he's in. Um and then the next scene with Alec Baldwin, he's wearing his Aloha shirt. Yeah. And they're all having drinks and Alec Baldwin's like, "Hey, you're the hero. The thing was a weapon and you saved the day." And we're going to bust Bill Murray. Uh oh, spoiler alert there for you. Yeah. Uh uh and the it reverse it's just that quick. And so you're like, "Yeah, I guess happy ending. That now he can <laughs> go and he can he can go back and get Emma Stone, I guess." Uh, so, yeah, it's just it just wrapped up you know, all at once it wrapped up all nice and neat and you see Bill Murray getting busted. Uh um yeah, but it just like I say, it just wasn't Cameron Crow. Doesn't not pass the Cameron Co. bar <laughs> no. standard.
0: I mean I probably liked it more than Elizabeth Town. Yeah
1: yeah, I liked it more than Elizabeth Town. That's just not saying very much. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, no. Definitely. Bradley's
0: much better than Orlando Bloom.
1: Yeah, but In so the, what? <laughs> it's just the plot is just the characters, the characters, um, they just weren't interesting. I won't, I won't blame the actors. I don't yeah. know that it, that is the actors' fault. That that they, I don't know how you, I don't know where the role for the director and the actors and yeah. the writers. I mean, I did think merge. that the
0: protagonist was more interesting.
1: Yeah, Alec Baldwin. I think Alec Baldwin was about as. Was was interesting, you know. He's yelling and screaming. He's playing a general that's throwing tantrums and having fits. That's not new, um, you know. <laughs> uh, that's how they, people have been playing generals for forever. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, True. just these little yeah. Uh, Bill Murray was weird. His character was weird. It's so, a you know you'd expect something. You know he he was dramatic. He was weird. Uh, I, yeah. I, I couldn't get excited I didn't find him Especially entertaining It's If it was the first time I'd seen Bill Murray I might have go Wow that was an Interesting performance But because he's Bill Murray I sort of expected more It was all a pump fake expected, It was all misdirection Yeah, yeah. I, I, You know Let's make disc- this guy likable When you go into the movie And you see the names Of all these actors All this talent and Then you got Cameron Crowe Back there uh, I think it's just a question of these guys just raise. Yeah, having having been familiar with all their work, Great my scenery, expectations are way up here at you know eight nine ten, and so when well, they, they turned shouldn't in, be
0: after we Bought a Zoo. Yeah they yeah
1: <laughs> they, they they the stuff they turned in was just about what I expected so you know uh, if I didn't know that if if I hadn't seen the trailer and didn't know who you know who the talent was in this movie. I might have been pleasantly surprised, you know. Yeah. Um but uh but yeah. Uh ex- Danny McBride was good. It's just I've enjoyed Danny McBride so much and Pineapple <laughs> <Express. Yeah. laughs> and in Pineapple Express and other stuff that he's done.
0: If you want to see a better Bradley Cooper Rachel McAdams movie, see Wedding Crashers. Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> oh man. For comparison, San Andreas has a 51%. That's the big earthquake in California movie with The Rock. Okay. (laughs) That also came out this weekend. Yeah.
1: (laughs) What are are some other comments on the movie? What are some other comments on this? Okay. Is there a professional critic in there that you respect that...
0: Um, it's hard to find a level on which Aloha works. It's a murky muddled mess. Who is this? This, uh, James from Real Views. Says he's a top critic. They're kind of just like a few sentences, each one, unless I click on the whole thing. Anchored by a knockout pairing of Bradley Cooper and Emma Stone, the film and its characters and the world they inhabit is difficult to say goodbye to because it is so effortlessly endearing. Kind of a divisive film. Some people really liked it. Yeah. At a time when franchises run rampant, we need someone like Cameron Crowe to help restore a little balance, but this movie's bad buzz isn't just gossip, it's a fair warning. Yeah. Oh my God, does Cameron Crowe try, which is why it hurts so much when he fails so very hard. Yeah. And he fails catastrophically with Aloha. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I'd say it's... the. It's hard to... Uh, failure is... Failure to me is kind of a... Is a kind of a difficult thing to pronounce because the trailer is so vague in what it's promising. <laughs> yeah. It's not exactly promising a comedy, but the... It's so upbeat, mm-hmm. and you see Emma Stone, you know, Emma Stone's coming in there with all that energy, and uh, I forget what it is that she says, uh, warmest sure aloha or something, but she says it's so forced. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like said in a loving way, it's just sort of with this, you know, be, you know, this sort of warmest aloha, like, you better be happy kind of a attitude thing (laughs) that it, that it felt like it was probably going to be, you know, that it was going to have like a lot of comedy in it, that it was going to be really lighthearted. And so little of it was, um, yeah. They
0: they picked a great romantic comedy actress.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most of (laughs) these guys have set that up. I want to say that all these guys, everybody in it has a, all the stars in it have strong comedy backgrounds. Yeah. Right. I mean, Alec Baldwin, uh, um, uh, McBride, Bradley Cooper, Emma Stone, Rachel McAdams, I mean, you know, Krasinski. All these guys are comedic actors and so <laughs> it's just Bill Murray. So it you know, it's just like hard to believe that there's not gonna be comedy in comedy <laughs> in it. And, yeah. and there's just not against type. There's just not it's it's dramatic and romantic or it, it tries to be. Um, the drama was just sort of kept to a minimum, you know, it's just cl. Just sort of muddled with all these concerns about the Hawaiian, you know, situation, to it. Yeah.
0: Now the whole thing with the descendants was the that Clooney's family had this land. Right. And they, they were, were disagreeing with they how were of Hawaiian
1: heritage.
0: What to do with it? Yeah. yeah.
1: In that movie, the tension was that they were all of Hawaiian heritage, but they didn't they didn't practice any Hawaiian culture. You know, they all spoke more English. They didn't even speak that much pidgin. Uh, none of them spoke actual Hawaiian. Uh, you know, Clinton goes as far as says that in the thing. It's like, you know, technically, you know, we're Hawaiian. I have Hawaiian on one side of my bloodline. He's the highest, you know, the descendants in line. He goes, but, you know, we're all more Hali than Hawaiian, you know, in the way that we live and our attitudes and, and our lifestyle. You know, we don't even speak Hawaiian anymore. Hardly any of us even speak Pigeon very much. Um, so, uh, and this is the tension that you know. In, but, but the descendants—that's the one that should have been titled. You would have entitled Aloha. Yeah. A, a, you know, and explaining uh, to give it the—it's that one's the real, real have the story of you know Hawaii built into it, and and the the frustration that the Hawaiians have of this ownership and this, you know, uh, modern culture and American culture and technology totally invading their religion and their spiritual um it, uh, spiritual space and and so this movie has a part of that. This movie was Crow wanted to
0: vacation Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> really wanted to make a movie in Hawaii. Hawaii
1: <laughs> Why yeah. not? Well I mean he even has paid for it. He even has this guy Bumpy <laughs> playing himself. He's you know considers himself the reigning sovereign king of Hawaii. <laughs> And the guy's playing himself. He's got totally authentic <laughs> in that aspect apparently.
0: Yeah, and those scenes with him were great.
1: Yeah, and and they're totally yeah, they're totally trying to explain how the, you know, the current the Hawaiians that live there, you know, the struggle that they're in um trying to maintain the culture of their ancestors and the you know the the world view of their ancestors um how it's in conflict with, you know, the American, you know, uh, dominance and the American culture that's there you know, they're negotiating their blessing of this of this bridge and this opening that's on their property um and they're negotiating uh this twenty minute they're negotiating their um, uh their sort of their blessing and their their allowance um of this twenty minute bridge ceremony thing in return for getting two mountains and and cell phone reception. Yeah. You know, and it's like, okay, exactly, you know. So, Which he can't even promise. He can't even. Yeah, it's unclear whether the military, whether they actually get their mountains, what that means, they're actually giving them, you know, two mountains. Or why the they care so days. much
0: about getting this blessing. You know?
1: Yeah, why it's important exactly what the significance of this bridge event is. Why they have to open this bridge. Yeah. What's the military's... This movie needed like
0: an actual fire goddess, an actual yeah. They to yeah, come tell alive these stories and, and
1: over and over about these Hawaiian gods you know? and the manahoune and and all these issues. And, and all we
0: got was like wind came through a window. Yeah, yeah. once in a while you'd see a curtain
1: would f- get flop open.
0: Yeah, and then everyone would pause, and be like, "Oh, that could mean
1: shit." Yeah. Well, they do the haka, the no. Hawaiian. Yeah, the Hawaiian haka at the beginning, and the dancers and these ceremonies and stuff like that. Um, but like, why that? But exactly what the significance and weight of these things is? If you're not a Hawaiian, if you've never studied the culture of Hawaii, why these things are important? You know why it's not just sort of this, this like gift crows, shop tourist like, kind of. It's stuff. like his
0: post midlife crisis, trying to find himself. Yeah. <laughs> trying to find some some deeper meaning.
1: No, it's uh, and and these spiritual issues are all significant at a certain point in your life. Um, America right now is sort of in this struggle because our government, you know, in our, in uh, our government's constitution includes passages that the the government shall make no laws concerning the establishment of religion, of a state Mm -hmm. church, a state religion. But there's all these religious issues that affect all the decision making in government. Because depending on what your world view is, and your world view is shaped by your religion or your spirituality, you know whether or not you believe there's an afterlife, whether or not, you know, when when killing is justified, um, you know what's uh, how you treat the land, you know how you treat your neighbor's property, your code of conduct, your ethics, all these things are dictated by, you know, your spiritual beliefs, by your religious beliefs, and and we have a government that's got no religion, that's got no, you know. Uh, religious beliefs. Um, so, in theory, it's it's it 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 should give as much weight to cannibals, you know, cannibalistic re- religions and Islam as it does Christianity. At the other hand, all the religious people, all, all the all our forefathers were Christians or lived in the you know at the time when Christianity was uh, all the religions were Christian religions. They were you know various Protestant. So so everything that's written at the time, all the constitution, all the early documents were sort of written in with the understanding that by different religions, they meant different versions of Christianity, different, <laughs> different Protestant religions is usually what they're, have in mind when they're talking about religion. Um, so, but we have all these cultural issues and, and we're constantly arguing, you know, about, uh, about laws that have to do with, you know, what, what constitutes marriage, you know, uh, what are, what are, you know, um, about when are the, when it's time to pull the plug, you know, when has somebody died, when their spirit has died, when their soul, you know, what, uh, when it's okay to kill, when it's okay to defend yourself, sure. um, you know, what, what, what's worth dying for, what's worth killing somebody else over. Um, and these are all, these are all, uh, issues, um, that you normally turn to, to religion or spiritual values, to decide, and we have a government that's not equipped for evaluating those spiritual values, you know it's constantly in flux, you know the culture changes um, and so we're constantly trying to rewrite our our culture <laughs> you know with our politicians yeah um, you know we're you know gays are are uh, the government's having to rewrite its laws to respect um, uh, gay marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, marriage between the t- same sexes and stuff like that. So, so this whole idea of culture and politics um, in conflict is appropriate, and that's sort of what he's got going with the Hawaiians and the military that they have to, you know, they're negotiating. You know, to Hawaiians it's a spiritual issue. What stuff goes into space, and opening this bridge, and who's allowed to go yeah. down what roads, and but when it's appropriate the, for these different things. The these stakes are all spiritual issues to them.
0: The, the stakes didn't seem that high or that interesting, and in, in these dilemmas. right. It wasn't and phrased these... <laughs> well. It wasn't <laughs> no, phrased well, I but guess.
1: but they they didn't quite set it up that way, you know. In the plot, it didn't allow enough uh, allow enough discussion. But in our culture, these are issues, and I get the feeling that Cameron Crowe is trying to sort of mirror these these current cultural issues with this sort of conflict in the home, between the Hawaiian the the native Hawaiians and the military and the you know in the privatization thing so so you've got this big conflict between private uh, between the big money the guys that hold, hold the real power now are private companies. That's who we're seeing emerge out of the that that's controlling you know behind a lot of the government decisions. We see these big uh, money players in in our culture now emerging corporations that are more powerful than our government in a lot of respects right then yeah. you have the then you have the military. And and the government, the way it exists, you know, today, the newer version of it, and then you have these cultural leaders, these three aspects, and it seems like that's what Cameron Crowe, as yeah. much as anything, is he's trying to represent the conflict between all these. I agree that it
0: wasn't well explained. Yeah, if this is supposed to be sort of a redemption story. I've made mistakes in the past. Now, I'm yeah, now figuring it, it out. It. it wasn't well explained. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what he's trying to redeem himself from, and what he's trying to do.
1: Yeah. This might have been something that he lost control of in the editing process. They might have had more aspects of the story and they just ran out of time to yeah. kind of you know, have to have all the scenes that explained everything that was going on. I can understand that happening. You know, he started out started out with a script that called for so yeah. many scenes and by the time they shot the scenes they realized that the thing was gonna to need to run three hours and so by the time you edit it down there's no <laughs> way to salvage it with the yeah, initial he... plot that he wanted. Um I can understand something like that happening.
0: So let me ask you. You lived in Hawaii yeah. for seven months. Or so. no, for
1: five years. Sorry,
0: seven months. I don't know why and I said you that. You were close. <laughs> so I don't know why I said that. Uh, five years. Or six years. Actually, it was more like six years. Okay. So from that, uh, did this movie get anything right or wrong about the the culture and what they showed? And what uh, yeah, I wasn't. I
1: wasn't... Uh, uh, I wasn't close notable. with enough of the of the true natives. Yeah. Uh, I get bits and pieces of them. You know, I talk to other islanders and, and Fijians and Tongans a little bit here and there, and I sort of get a glimpse of some of this stuff. Uh, I remember being at a shopping mall one time, and this guy, he was an islander, uh, Hawaiian, and he starts railing on the tourists and the people coming in and out of like Walmart. You know, he's in the Walmart parking lot and he's yelling at him, screaming how he's Hawaiian and, and the how you know, all the stuff that's going on. He, you know, it was like a Friday night he might have been a little bit drunk. Um, we'd see all these, you know, multimillionaires, you know, building their mansions, you know, their houses on uh, on the Hawaiian soil and there's something like on the big island of Hawaii there's something like eighteen golf courses um mm-hmm. where there's a population of of, like, under 150,000 people, right? Yeah, it's a massive so that, that, I mean, the, the two biggest cities are maybe 40,000, to 40,000 people. They've only gotten to that, you know, and, and, and even 10, 15 years ago, they were, you know, they were maybe even less than that. They were maybe, like, less than 30,000. Mm-hmm. But 18 golf courses. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> a lot of golf courses for that few people.
0: Hey, I have an uh, idea. Yeah. I picked up on Blu-ray a few months ago the bootleg version of Almost Famous which is a director's cut version. Hmm. It's a longer version. So that would be fun to watch. See the how that's different. A director's
1: vision of, of what of, of Almost Famous. Of Almost Famous. Yeah, okay. It's a
0: director's cut. They call he calls it the bootleg cut. The bootleg cut. But it's really just a director's cut. Okay. So and I haven't watched it yet, but I have it on Blu-ray, so
1: it would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, no, Cameron Cameron Crowe has made some uh, remarkable observations on our culture and our time and our people and then sort of ideas and stuff that, that are sort of circulating yeah. out there and how we feel about what's going on around us, you know, within our within our moment, within our yeah. time. And so you just expect sort of all these insights by these sort of profound characters. Yeah. You know, you want to say anything and John Cusack's character for um you can see John Cusack's character and say anything. He's just this remarkably enlightened and insightful guy, right? And he hasn't got money. He's he's more or less an orphan. You know, his parents are gone out of the picture. He's living with his his older sister. sister. He's graduating high school. He hasn't got really anybody, um, but he's popular at school. And he's into kickboxing before kickboxing or mixed martial arts, you know, explode. Right? I mean, even when the movie came out, it wasn't popular sport. Yeah. But he's just, like, saying that this is the sport of the future. Yeah. And it very much was. I mean, Kevin Crow just nailed that one. When when he's got, you know, he's got Kuzak's uh, character saying, I feel it's like the sport of the future. This is like, this is the chance to get on the ground floor or something. You know, is to get in and And so nobody realizes it, but he's got this tremendously bright future as an athlete in the sport that's going to explode and um not not kickboxing but uh but mixed martial arts yeah um and so uh so and but more than anything, Jen kuzak's characters just got this brilliant um insightful. Understanding of life more than any of the other adults around him. All the other adults are like, so "What are you going to do with your life? You know, are you going to college? You, 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 how how are you going to get into college? You can't afford it. You haven't got the grades. You know, what what hope can you possibly have?" Mm-hmm. And he's like, "I don't want to buy anything that's processed. I don't want to sell anything that's processed. I don't want to it, process anything. I don't want to process anything. <laughs> that's you know, or sold. Yeah, that's bought or sold. Yeah, and and uh, and and he's got this." Terrific element. He's going to be his own individual. He's, you know, he's going to live an independent life. He's just got this brilliant philosophy that seems completely naive and unrealistic at the at the moment. Yeah. You know, but he's still putting him in this position. You, you realize, like, he can have that as a mixed martial arts fighter. Yeah. You know, it remains to see if he's good, but but the whole point is, is like he's got this better grasp on life and what will make him happy while everybody else is trying to grab after education, and uh, and chasing this sort of this this idea of money, and the sort of these other things that we see have ruined the lives of all the other adults in the movie. He's the one guy that's got this insight into like, I think I can be happy doing this. Not I think I can be rich doing this. Not I think I could be powerful doing this. Not I think I could be really wealthy doing this. But I think I can be happy by being yeah. with this girl <laughs> and and not submitting you know to these to these traps absolutely and and you love that character in that moment for that cuz he's such an underdog and he's got such a brilliant perspective and he gives you hope and the same the same character uh with the with the kid and almost famous he's just yeah I'm pursuing this cuz it makes me happy here's know? my observation yeah
0: Cameron Knows a lot about the music industry and writes about that. and yeah. has researched that, and then in Jerry, he knows about the the sports agency, sports agents. He researches that. Yes. and that's not a big leap because we are both entertainment right industries. Right. So you can see how he would make that leap. Right.
1: How it's related. How he's knowledgeable here. He about has it. no
0: idea what he's talking about.
1: <laughs> and he doesn't really have a hero character. You know, you feel like Bradley Cooper is expected to be this hero. And in a sense, he is. He he sort of redeems himself, but you don't feel like he's brilliant and exciting and he's giving you hope. You know, he's sort of just dragging through his life. He's just not... To me, he just wasn't interesting. Just no comparison to the Jerry Maguire character. You just... I don't feel his, his pain and frustration. There's just not enough background on him to know all the stuff that he's been through. Um yeah, yeah, they need a better background, and I mean, you feel bad that he has this limp, and that stuff happened to him. And, but it happened know. so fast in the story. He introduces it. I it got blown up in Kabul, and that's all. Yeah, that's yeah, all the investment I, that you have in it. You I know, agree. know, it's like what the hell is put you in Kabul? At, at, at yeah, they almost almost time. at the end of the story, you see him where he was standing in Kabul, and he was so disgusted with himself and his role in this thing that when a missile is coming in, he doesn't get out of the way. That's like finally the moment in the movie, it's like, okay, um, we need to, to explain or somehow demonstrate how much pain he was in you know, prior to that. You just don't feel like he's in all this pain and all this agony. You just don't see that in his character. So maybe there was a failing in Cooper's acting or Cooper's understanding of the character earlier that you don't see that.
0: There's something about that he was married to a princess and it didn't last
1: he was that, involved in it. Yeah, that has no payoff. Like there's that was in the research that yeah that Emma Stone does about him. Yeah, and she there's... calls him out for that. Her that he's sad or something, and he laughs at it. Yeah, you know, and, and so maybe that's like the wrong. And there's really nothing more to that
0: story. That she you know we get him as out of being it.
1: Sad and he just sort of blows her off, and she's embarrassed that she calls him out on that. But I didn't really see that he felt a lot of pain in that.
0: Yeah. Or why he was so unreachable for those 13 years when she's like, I tried calling you a bunch of times. It just, there's all these stretches in logic. I, I
1: didn't, I didn't identify like, him as being in all that much pain. And all that isolated. He just seemed to be like satisfied that he was a loner. And all that stuff, I,
0: I, I know that it's, the daughter is his. Yeah. But all the stuff Rachel I'm just saying in the kitchen, like. Yeah. You know, we broke it off, and I rebuilt my life. It's like, aren't you over it? <laughs> it's been thirteen years. Yeah, like yeah. he
1: just didn't. You seem... really can't let this alone. You have to he, mention this. He just didn't seem dark enough. You invite this guy to dinner. He know? just didn't seem dark enough for a guy that's been through all the crap that he was through. Yeah, and, and we've seen a lot of movies with a lot of dark, dark characters. You know, Clint was really the guy that that you would that's played this character that's sort of been through everything, seen everything. You saw him in Gran Torino. You well, see Clint him Eastwood in... did that in American Sniper. <laughs> he made him a dark character. Right, but Clint Eastwood plays torture. that guy. Yeah, Clint Eastwood plays that guy in all the Clint yeah. Eastwood's movies, in all the Dirty Harry movies. He's this great. He's this character that's just really dark and injured and pale writer. You know, and he's got this history, and and you know that's the guy. That's the guy that seemed to be that, that Bradley Cooper should have been playing. And he just wasn't. He just didn't seem like yeah. he was that injured.
0: They made Krasinski just... the the dark one.
1: Yeah, Krasinski seems. The Bradley yeah. could be
0: more likable. Was.
1: Yeah, you no know, he just term. not likable is not the word. Just sort of upbeat and sort of relaxed and comfortable with himself. Yeah. He just didn't seem like he was that twisted and tortured and dark, um, as he would have needed to have been, to be the guy w- waiting for the missile to hit him. Yeah, they they need to explain that more. You know well, it was either failing on Cooper's part or failing in the director that that message wasn't clearer. Um, if that was supposed to be significant, more significant part of the movie. Mm-hmm. I just didn't see this huge turn in his character. So, you know... There's way too many
0: over-the-shoulder looking and pausing
1: scenes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, man. All right, have we beat this dead horse? Yeah,
1: he's, uh, trying to... It's, it's just frustrating to put your finger on exactly what you don't like about what Cameron Crowe did with this thing. It's just, it's just so many, so many different ways. It's like if, if if he was trying to make it into uh, a comment on the culture, it's like, yeah, he didn't give us enough background. If he was trying to make it into the sort of uh, anti, anti anti-corporate, you know, movie, anti-corporation, anti, you know, big corporation movie. It's like okay, well, Bill character Bill Murray's character wasn't that dislikable. He wasn't yeah. that hateful. He's weird, but he wasn't he wasn't dark or twisted enough. Um, it, it's just hard to know whether the actors, um, whether the actors didn't give us enough information about their characters, or whether the you know the plot was just not not cohesive enough, or you know the it, it's hard to know whether it was a failing of the director, or, or you know or the editor. Um, you know who's to blame for this thing? It didn't come together well. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Maybe he'll keep getting better. Maybe
0: he'll <laughs> return to great. Maybe well, the next getting worse.
1: Stop getting worse. He was yeah. brilliant. Doesn't <laughs> need to get better. He needs to go back to who he was. I dude. know
0: that's not what I'm saying though. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, but yes, yeah, uh, the trailer the trailer needed work. <laughs> 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 did not prepare you for what this movie was. A, the trailer's
0: sort of, job is to sell the movie, and that's well, what it's, it does. To
1: give you a, it's, it's to <laughs> it's the trailers like your contract is supposed to t- introduce the movie to sort of tell you this is a comedy, this is a romantic comedy, this is a dramatic romantic comedy, or whatever the movie is. And it it was upbeat that it seemed like you were expecting, you know, some something more of a comedy. How about this, Chris? Yeah.
0: Cut cut out everything with the satellite and the rocket and everything. Yeah. Make it about a Cooper and Emma Stone have this relationship. That's great. And then later on, like after they've been dating for a while, he gets the bomb that he has this daughter and he has to, you know, yeah. he has responsibility and he has to play a part and, and do that and that's like a yeah you
1: you uh, to make it to do anything with it you really have to. Yeah, really have to change Bradley Cooper's character. You really have to give him more background, or or play him differently. Yeah, you know, Clint East and the dirty and the characters that
0: or more conflict. Yeah,
1: know. more conflicted. Um, he really, in retrospect, it really seemed like he should have been that you wanted like Dirty Harry, you know, one of these Clint Eastwood characters, or the guy from Grand Torino, or somebody like that with this really dark twisted, burned-out mentality. Um, you could have started with that, you know, where he's got this dark secret, and he's got this, you know, goes-way-back history and problems and stuff that he's, you know, inner-tortured, sort of a situation uh, that's driving him, um, you know, some kind of failing that's, that's wounded him, um, something like that. And... um uh, you know, to be interesting to be interested in his character and then you're like, Okay, well what was it that happened to him? What was it that happened to him that did it? We still don't know exactly what he did. At some point he got to the point where he's you know, the he just stood there and let a missile come at him. But what pushed him to that point? What Yeah. You know, why did he feel so betrayed that he was I think he gets lucky, I mean that's yeah. that's really Yeah. Yeah, you know. it was, he's, ha- he's having a discussion where she asks him what it's like to be shot for a bullet to hit you he's going oh, there's 18 different times a bullet hit me you know and it's like okay <laughs> <laughs> but can you describe one of them how it came to be that 18 different times you were in positions where you you know you were getting shot at what you know you weren't sitting on some military base that was secure and it you kept taking jobs where you were getting shot at what prompted that mm-hmm. <laughs> Right, so, uh, so, yeah. So yeah, it, it, yeah. There's 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 too many, uh, too much missing from the story. Yeah, and characters were yeah. characters were incomplete. It seemed like so, most of them.
0: Well, regardless, Cameron will always have a special place in our hearts. That's right. Because he's, cre- he's created masterpieces before and. We can't take that away from him.
1: We we'll, we'll keep going to see his pictures in the hopes <laughs> we still have hope that the next one will be something that has a has a has a little bit of almost famous in it, or a little bit of say anything, or a little bit of Jerry Maguire or something. Yeah, a little bit of Fast Times in it.
0: Yeah, we can. We want hope.
1: that magic, Jerry? We want that <laughs> magic, Cameron. We want it, Cameron.
0: That's K cast for this week. This is Caleb.
1: This is Chris Mahalo.